Okay, well, not the envy of uh, the rest of the entire planet for a good chunk of the pandemic, and that's putting it mildly. The United Kingdom is getting it right. Uh, they're right now at about, and this is the number from Sunday. This is prepping last night is the last valid number I could find. They've got almost 17% of their population vaccinated with at least one dose. They're getting towards a million uh, that have had two. And also, you know where you stand. We're not close to that right now. They laid out a chart, nine different categories. And so you knew whether you were in category seven or four or nine. And the and the last category is people 50 to 54. Now, I told this anecdote on the weekend. I've got a friend of mine, my best friend. The guy was the best man at my wedding. Um, and he's about four years older than me. So he's in his early 50s. And he he's expecting to get the vaccine before the end of February. I think that's what he told me. Uh, his neighbor, who's five years older than him. Now, again, it's like Tony Romo. I, you know, I'm not great with numbers. Um, but he would be in his mid-50s, and he just got it. And that's a, like a next-door neighbor. So they're getting this done right. They want a quarter of the population done by the end of the month of February. So all we can do is stare across the Atlantic um, with envy. That's putting it bluntly. I want to bring on Dr. Gareth Millward from the University of Warwick. Uh, and uh, we're calling him in the United Kingdom. Dr. Millward, thanks very much for the time. I appreciate it. No, thank you very much. It's uh, good that we're doing this over the phone, because in the last commercial break, uh, <laughs> I was told that I'm not allowed to come to Canada, so we'll have to do it over the phone. Oh, <laughs> well, you know, are you, are you, uh, have you had uh, one, of your, uh, one of your jabs, as, as it were, right now, so far? Well, I'm, I'm relatively lucky in my job being a, a, a researcher and a historian that I've basically not really left my bedroom for the past couple of months, so I haven't had to have one yet. But uh, if, if it meant coming to Canada again, I've only been there once, but I'd love to come back. I'd definitely get a swab for that. we got to have you back. We'll, 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 uh, we'll, we'll treat you right in Toronto. I mean, we're expecting all to be vaccinated by the end of 2023. So I hope you can wait two and a half years. No, I'm like sooner than that. But we're struggling. And and even America, which is doing much, much better than us, they're looking at you guys saying, what's happened? I mean, are most people who have been frustrated by government policy, a lot of stop start, a lot of restrictions here, lockdown, then open up, lockdown again. Are they they must be pleased because the procurement and the distribution seems to be going very well. Something not not our country certainly can't say that. How do they feel about it? Yeah, it's it's been a, it's been a mixed bag. Um, we're definitely very happy with the way that the vaccine has been rolled out, and for reasons that I'm sure we'll get onto. I think the vaccination program is something that really suits the way that Britain has tended to deal with healthcare. You are getting some people who are saying, well, yeah, it's great that the vaccination thing is going well, but what about all of the other problems that we've had? But I think for the most part, it is something that the, the majority of the population is just really glad that this is this is one thing that the British health system is perfectly set up to do. And it seems to be doing it. So it's uh, it is quite refreshing. I mentioned that the target they want to hit uh, by mid-February. Um, they want to start getting people into the uh, in, in the over 60s. They want to uh, mention my anecdotal uh, evidence, which doesn't stand for much, but that most people in their early 50s are hoping that certainly in the next four or five weeks. Um, it's it's remarkably encouraging. And as I laid out the messaging from the get go, uh, doctor, was that people would know where they stood. They'd know what group they were in. And, and they knew before Christmas, really, if they were in group three or group five etc right yeah that's right and um, it's it goes all the way back really to when we did the polio vaccine rollout in the 1950s where uh committees were set up to look at who the most at-risk groups would be and they set out very clear guidelines as to how that would work 
Uh, we used our testing systems here in the UK to make sure that we had the right vaccine to be available. Uh, and then the really big thing, I think, is that our national health service is definitely national. It's not done at the provincial level uh, and it's not done at the state level like it would be in the United States. So even though Scotland has some control over how it might decide to do certain things and Wales has some control over how it might do certain things, there is this sort of sense in Britain that it is our national health service. So when you brand something as NHS and you do it through those national kind of networks, uh, you can do a lot of really interesting stuff with redistributing vaccines through, for instance, family physicians, which are all under the same system, or you can do it through the public health service, which is all under the same system. So there's a lot of, I think, coordination that can happen in the United Kingdom that maybe can't happen because of the provincial system in Canada, as far as I understand it, or under the mm-hmm. state system in, in the USA. Dr. Gareth Millward uh, joining us from the University of Warwick. Yeah, I was going to say your geography plays well for you there, doesn't it? It's it's 66 million people, um, and it's a more you know it's a more crowded environment. Canada, as you might imagine, pretty sparse. I'm, I'm a big music fan, so I always, you know, you see a band's tour schedule, and you're like, wow, they can just plow through the United Kingdom, play all their shows, play all their gigs, and they're done in a, in a quick succession. It's a little bit different going from Vancouver to Winnipeg uh, and knowing you've got to fly. Um, so, like, your geography works really well, even even up north in Newcastle, three hundred thousand people in Newcastle, but it's it's it, it people around there can come to Newcastle rather easily and get the shot there. Yeah, absolutely, um, I, and uh, it, it's not it's not just that sort of the the island of Great Britain is quite densely populated, other than sort of the far north of Scotland uh, and that sort of area, but over half the population lives south of uh, the River Trent which uh, I can't really um, quickly come up with a, a good geographical uh, uh, sort of uh, location for you. But get, get on Google Maps and look up the River Trent. It basically means that most of our population lives in the southeast of the country. So if you can get something into London, which the metro area there is about 10 million people, um, or you can get it into Birmingham, again, 2 million people in Birmingham, another 2 million in Manchester, Liverpool kind of area. Um, and all of that is in, you know, within, you can get from Liverpool to, to London on the train in about two and a half hours. So, yes, we definitely benefit from, from the geography. But then we also don't benefit from the geography because it is one of the reasons, aside from sort of policy decisions that have been made, it is one of the reasons why our per capita rate of COVID has been much, much higher than other comparable countries. Yeah, it's a lot harder to, quote, unquote, hide out. And uh, and, and it's it's... Yeah. Yeah, England, <laughs> it's a tough, I've been several times, it's a tough country to avoid people on public transit. Uh, just get, get anywhere in the tube in central London from 1 p.m. on, on an afternoon, and uh, I hope I hope people aren't claustrophobic. Let me, I, I don't mean to put you on the spot politically, but the, the Brexit departure, did that worry people and look, oh, this was the absolute wrong time to leave Europe? I, I don't know about that because, again, things are going great in the U.K. Well, there are some, you know, European Union countries um, really struggling for vaccine procurement. How do you view it? Uh, I think on this narrow issue, it is one uh, area that there have been a couple of things that have fallen into maybe Britain's favour. Because we knew Brexit was happening, the health service deliberately made its own contracts with companies like AstraZeneca, Pfizer, um, and other vaccine providers. So it it the, the health system in Britain was able to tailor what it thought it needed uh, was able to overestimate our need uh, and make those contracts very early on 
while the European system took a little bit longer to work out what it would need for the entire union and how it would collectively buy those things. I think Mm. maybe in the long term, if we continue to need these vaccines as different mutations come along, as we learn how effective the vaccine is over time, it might end up being that that initial advantage that we have right now at the beginning of 2021 it might just seem to be a difference in the way that we're doing things rather than being better or being any worse. Uh, but certainly, uh, I think there was some trepidation when it was when it was found out that we could have been part of the EU system and chose not to be. But I, I think for, on the short term level, it certainly worked out for, for the British case for now anyway. It seems to be. It seems to be. Uh, well put. Uh, Dr. Millward, thanks very much for uh, your time and uh, your perspective on this. Greatly appreciate it. Stay as safe as you can, and, and thanks for making an appearance with me today. Shall do. Thank you very much. You got it. Dr. Gareth Millward from the University of Warwick. All right, we'll go down to Tampa in a little bit. Uh, you can bet on anything for the Super Bowl. Everybody knows that. You can wager anywhere you want. Um, they're called prop bets, right? Not that I would know. Okay, listen, I can stop anytime I want to, all right? You don't have to get... Don't moralize to me, uh, but th- one of the prop bets was, is some uh, idiot going to run onto the field? And uh, generally speaking, again, you know, we're blurring these lines at times between the sexes, but the idea of, of y- that you could go somewhere and bet that it would be a guy, <laughs> no sports book would take your action. Of course it's going to be a guy. Of course it is. And it was. Although it went a little bit differently than people thought. Now, CBS cut away from the telecast. Field security got the guy. And uh, I watched on TV, so I didn't get to hear this radio call. And you probably haven't either. But Jim Nance and Tony Romo were like, first of all, Tony Romo's worried about the stain on his pants. I'll get to that a bit later. Jim Nance is, uh, you know, worried about, uh, you know, getting back and, and playing 18 at Pebble Beach on Tuesday. But Kevin Harlan dialed it up. He dialed it up to about a 13 out of 10 here. Okay. Calls the game from the radio booth on Westwood One. And when the guy got on the field, you know, he didn't let us down. Here it is. 5.03 to go. Someone has run on the field. Some guy with a brawl. And now he's not being chased. He's running down the middle of the 40. Arms in the air and a victory salute. He's pulling down his pants. Put up your pants, my man. Pull up those pants. He's being chased to the 30. He breaks a tackle from a security guard. The 20, down the middle, the 10, the 5. He slides at the 1, and they converge on him at the goal line. Pull up your pants, take off the bra, and be a man. Guy, I'll never forget when my dad told me that when I was 14. And it was just one of those moments where you realize, by the way, what I was thinking watching the video is that is someone's son. Like at some point, that that kid may that person, that man may have been disavowed and, and disenfranchised from his family by then. Maybe he filed for emancipation really young, like that uh, bad Drew Barrymore movie from the 80s where she's trying to divorce her parents. But either way, uh, Kevin Harlan brought it. And and I should mention that the officials on the field, they had a bad first half. They, they did not handle that guy gave himself up at the one yard line and he was hit late anyway. Like they went high on him. Do security guards practice how to tackle guys like that? Because it doesn't seem like they do. That should be a drill at a certain point in time. So a longtime friend of mine uh, lives down in Tampa, and um, and he ran on the field. And we're about to – no, he didn't. This is not who ran on the field, but uh, but he, he bore witness to it. Uh, John Thompson's a longtime friend, a London, Ontario native. So he's a Canadian, so he should, he should be polite and and humble. And he's – yeah, he'll be those things for us. Uh, it's great to have you on. You don't know could, – could you recognize that guy? Like what if that was a friend of a friend of yours? You probably have come across him at some point. <laughs> 
was just a blur, and it's funny that none of the players even gave it a second thought. I know if I was standing on the field and a guy started streaking down the middle of the field in a Super Bowl, you would give it some attention, but they didn't. And I tell you, the the security guards tackled better than the secondary of the Kansas City Chiefs, that's for sure. (laughs) Do you remember when, you would, when uh, a guy ran on the ice at the Memorial Auditorium and Rob Ray, like noted tough guy for the Sabres? Hammered him. Hammered him. And and one of the referees hammered uh, another guy that ran on to like you get you go on the ice hockey players will lay you out all these big tough football players they they just let them gain uh, 49 yards after the catch what was with that and think of it you've got traction on skates and as you're running onto the ice you have none <laughs> so and you're at the mercy of a guy and momentum is mass times acceleration so he's skating at x miles an hour and you're running towards the other way it never ends well but they just get pummeled but it was uh, you know a little bit of levity in this era of covid i mean who would what are you going to do well, he doesn't have any protection. Nobody has any protection. The guy's running down the field, partially naked. It's like, oh, geez, you know. Anyway, yeah. So you're in, you're in you're in Tampa, and I find this fascinating. You've lived there. You lived in Florida for quite a while, and uh, and and so you get all the benefits. Lots of you know, great weather year round. Golf. Uh, you, you you know, Tampa. You can get to Miami. You're near the ocean. All that stuff. So. COVID happens and uh, and and it 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 changed some things, but not changed others. Like we're all watching this scene at the game, but I was of two minds. I was like, oh, gee, I don't know. Is that too many people in the stadium? Is that too many people in the street? And there's a small part of me because we're human, and and you know, again, things are uh, you know, things are nuanced, right? There's some gray area to all this, yeah. and I'm thinking. Yeah. I'm envious. I'm jealous. I'm jealous that some people have confidence right now that me and many, many around me do not. What's your perspective on, on being down there during this? Well, when it first happened back in, um, in April, I guess we were on lockdown for a month. Uh, essential services were open. Construction kept going and everything like that. But then in May, it was like a, a switch was hit. We opened up again. And our numbers weren't you get used to crazy when you're having 10 or 13, 14. I mean, Ontario's got 1,400 and uh, everything gets shut down and we have 10,000. But it basically became a way of life that so many people got it. And then everybody is varying degrees of it. But I, I know probably 20 people who've had it and nobody has been disproportionately ill. Um, mostly the younger sect, mostly under 40 are the people that I'm aware of. So you fast forward if you're careful. Like I'm, I, I really haven't stopped going out. I go for dinner a couple times a week. I've been to a few hotels. You clean the hotel room with your sanitizer. You know, everybody masks. Most normal people mask. You have the Marjorie Taylor Greens of the world who could care less. And you're always going to have that segment of liberty down in the U.S. here. Um, but for the most part, most people are respectful of it. And you avoid the places. Uh, I mean, there's tons of bars you could go to that are, are full. But yeah. they're largely filled with under 30 people um, who aren't going to get ill. But they're the ones who are the spreaders of it. So, when you have 22,000, a Super Bowl plus a few uh, dignitaries, and then you have a, a stadium of that size, is it, uh, you know, a super spreader event? No, but you're going to have some cases come out of it, that's for sure. But uh, anyway, you just accepted his life down here. Well, and, and honestly, right now, most people don't even look at it as an issue. You know, I have a, a friend of mine who's 80, and we go out. He's aware of it, too, and I always tell him, <laughs> you got to be careful because, you know, you're, it, it is everywhere. But he likes to go out to the restaurants, too. 
Um, so it's it's balancing, you know, and I guess everybody has to come to their own determination with that. John Thompson's uh, my guest, uh, a good friend of mine uh, that I've known for a long, long time. And he lives down in Tampa, Florida. So let me did you have to build up confidence after lockdown or did you just say like like you read a story about long covid and and you get the you know, you, you get concerned or like I, I, I I'm like that. I'm like, I'm not going to die, but I don't want to cause anybody else's demise. And I sure don't want to not be able to do things. Phys- I don't want to be able to go for a five mile run one day and then the next day I'm panting after uh, 800 meters. Yeah. And that's, it's, it's true that you have to, you dip your toe into the water. And part of it is the media sensationalizes it a lot like this fear. And, and there is a, uh, you know, in Canada, whenever you listen to the news there, it's, it seems much worse than it actually is. And granted, that's my perspective. Mm-hmm. It could be for certain people a, a real, real problem, but down here, it's kind of, when when you play it again and again and again, people just get used to the noise, so to speak. And when you find out people have had it and it wasn't that bad, you you, you kind of get some confidence that, yes, I get it, I'll deal with it accordingly. But you're always cautious. I mean, everybody has to be cautious. I certainly know I don't want to interact with with the elderly, um, you know, after I've been out for any any length of time or anything like that. And I caution other people to do the same thing because, like you Mm -hmm. said, no one wants to spread it or, or hurt anybody in that regard. It makes dating older women difficult. I mean, not that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Relatively speaking, yeah. I'm not through the, the, the nursing homes for a date right now. Uh, so. No, d- yeah, that's best to yeah. best to avoid that for uh, for several months uh, yeah. on end. Um, yeah, yeah. Sports. You, you and I are massive sports fans. Have you sort of, yeah. w- was that sort of also dipping your toe back in? Because I, I mentioned in the summer, like, it's great to be able to go out and play golf, go out and play tennis. We all were doing that in, in July, August, and September. Nobody was stopping that. But, you know, I have kids. They want to be back playing outdoor sports. Um, you know, I, I, I've hesitated sometimes because when I watch pro sports, John, I'm like either it, they're so casual and confident or, 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 or it's the other side. They're, they're reckless. And maybe even some NBA teams don't mind if it passes through them. If they're not seeing the elderly, they'd rather get it, get it over with and move it right along. The last thing you want to do is get knocked out for the NFL playoffs or the, or the second round of the NBA playoffs. You're better off having it early. I'm saying that from an athlete perspective. Yeah, and it was the golf course is never shut down. So in Florida, think about that when it's March, April, and you've got COVID raging everywhere. They did the socially distanced thing with golf, but it's that semblance of normalcy that I think people really crave. At least, you know, in Canada, when you're locked down, you guys are really locked down. Um, and and now that it's, you know, people want to have that sense of normalcy. You want to get out to play sports. You want to get out to play tennis. You want to be able to get outside, which is supposed to be good for you. And if you take that away from people. I don't know what, what it leaves you with because the depression, yeah. the anxiety, and all that other all the other negative things that go along with it become arguably worse. And then you look at the bankruptcies, you look at the socioeconomic factor that's gonna that's gonna happen, and just the plain re- economic reality of coming out of something like this. Well, I'll, I'll bring up one more thing. Even you know, you and I, uh, you and I like going uh, to to the gym, so you can go right now. I can't. I haven't been able to go since October. But the idea that in the winter, you know, a Canadian winter like like uh, yeah. like nobody's business, and uh, that's probably why you moved to Florida. And and nonetheless, we can't even open these gyms and make like appointments for older people to go for half an hour at a time if they so choose. Like that's insanity to me. The only the only exercise you can get is walking on icy sidewalks. What's like do you want it you want a hip replacement? Like I don't mind doing it. I'll suck it up. But I think it's a it's a travesty that we haven't been able to get older people who need that, let alone our kids. Like I'm in that middle ground. I, I want this I don't I want our kids not to suffer. I want our elderly not to suffer and they both are right now. 
Yeah, well, I know the gyms, they're wide open. We, we did have some restrictions at the beginning. It was 50% occupancy. And then, of course, Ron DeSantis is a little different than uh, a lot of other governors. And it was like a, a, a switch was flipped. But for myself, when I went to the gym, I would know what time to go or what time not to go. Yeah. Because literally it would be full. And, and, you, and largely with younger people again. But the same thing is I can get in the plane and I can have a person sitting beside me with a mask on. And the plane can be full. There's planes that were full coming down here all the time from up north. There's planes that are full right now coming down from up north. But I can't go to a gym and have socially distanced and staff monitoring, cleaning equipment, doing all that stuff. So there's a bit of disconnect, I, I think, in that front. There's my friend John Thompson, Tampa, Florida. By the way, uh, for our audience, the best bartender I've ever seen work. Like you were like a Tom Cruise cocktail-esque bartender. <laughs> like you just you know, like you, you could work a crowded room like nobody. Great with the one-liners. Now, now you can confirm for our audience. I, I probably this is what I should be doing. I shouldn't have kept waiting tables. I was not the I was I was not the I was the Kansas City chief secondary of uh, of of servers at Joe Coolis, really. Yeah, yeah, it, it was working your way from originally from the host station greeting and, and having Greg's happy face up front before customers would turn around and leave and walk out the door and they realized it was bad for business. So let's let's let him move on into the into the serving realm. They don't they don't well, let men they don't they, greener pastures before you hit the bar. So good for you. Yeah, you but know? they don't they don't let men the future in radio and television. They don't let men host anymore. Like they don't let. Uh, I mean, this war against white men, John. When are we going to conquer this and uh, and and stand up for ourselves? No, it's, the ship has sailed. We'd rather have greeting you with the door. Greg Brady or his sister. I uh, yeah. Sister every time. It's exactly a pleasant person too. Far far yeah far more. She'll give you a better table too. She's not going to put you in the window uh, where you got to watch the the vagrants walk by. John loved having you on. Let's uh, let's chat again. Stay safe and and we'll get to some golf when uh, when you know around 2023 when Canada opens up again. Yeah yeah sounds like a plan. Okay thanks man. Good chatting with you. All right there's uh, John Thompson joining us from uh, Tampa Florida. It is true we worked together for quite a while. More so- like anything else the last 11 months. Mix of of some element of of hope, uh, uh, some element of trepidation, some nervousness. Um, this is all about risk mitigation. This is all about attempting to gain some form of confidence. A lot of teachers walked into classrooms today, and um, and they had to be confident. They really did. Not the easiest thing to do in uh, Durham, where my kids are, Halton, uh, and of course it's coming in uh, Toronto, Peel, and other regions in a little bit. I want to get to the uh, ETFO president joining me once again, Sam Hammond on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Sam, it's always great to have you on. Thanks for making the time. Oh, thanks for having me on, Greg. Do I have that sort of right? It's uh, like like teachers have to you know have to show to their uh, kids and their students, and especially probably the younger ages, a degree of 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 swagger almost, a degree of confidence stepping back in. But we got very different circumstances than we had right after Labor Day, don't we? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and our members continue to do that. Education workers across the province, uh, with all of their concern and anxiety. Uh, you know, another group of them will go into schools today and do exactly what you said and, and be professionals and do what they have to do. So do you look at what the province could potentially announce today? And uh, like it's not it's probably not lost on the irony of, of anybody that my kids can go back to school today, but I couldn't take them anywhere uh, for a haircut. The fact that one of my kids looks like um, Napoleon Dynamite, I guess that only matters to him. But who am I to tell a teenager what he should look like when he leaves the door? But but that's not lost on parents that that there's no there's no sports they can participate in. We can't we can barely get our kids outside. Ski hills even are closed, and yet we're firing full classrooms right back into schools. No, absolutely, uh, full classrooms of twenty five to thirty, uh, with no a, a lack of two meters of physical distancing and and not the 
um, safety measures that that we had in public places such as restaurants, and you mentioned, you know, uh, barber shops, etc. Uh, but yet we can put 25 to 30 or more students in a class, and we can allow them to eat lunch yeah. without without mass of uh, 20 20 to 30 people sitting next to each other. It makes no sense. I think that's the thing is is the lunch maybe concerns parents the most. I know it did for me when the plant plans were laid out, even in August, Sam, when we're looking at oh, there's you know 150 cases throughout the province, and we're all you know we're all feeling really good about about stamping the virus down and and where the numbers were at. And now with this new variant, the Brazilian variant just discovered in this province today, and kids are going back to school. If there was some way that they could go every other day, if there was some way that it could be cohorted like secondary school. Imagine the confidence uh, level you and and your teachers and parents would feel. And I've heard enough people say, "Well, it doesn't usually work that way." Are you, have you seen the world where nothing's working the way it used to? So, so isn't that a, at least a half measure to to get things back to normal? Well, it's concerning that when the premier, uh, you know, one week is out saying that it is extremely concerning that this new variant is there. We have to be careful. We have to take all of the steps to ensure uh, the safety of everyone. Uh, and then three days later, the Minister of Education, without any enhanced safety protocols, without established asymptomatic testing, without any metrics, says we're sending kids back to school. Uh, I, I just I find it extremely concerning and disturbing, and parents should should as well. Do you think the fact that we pushed cases down, we were worried about getting cases into the, the 3,500, 4,000 range when we went into Christmas break, and then the kids are out of school for two weeks, and now it's been five where they would have been in school that they haven't been. I mean, there's not many other places to go uh, to push cases up. Um, it, uh, has the drop in cases in your mind and in the, the, the experts you talk to, has that been at least a partial result of there not being school for the last seven weeks? Yeah, you know, honestly, Greg, I, I don't know, because when the government, you know, has been asked five, six times what their metrics is and they can't answer it, what data are you relying on? Uh, I'm not I'm not sure how to respond to that question. Uh, and this this notion that, you know, COVID only happens in the communities and not in schools. Well, we saw what happened in uh, Windsor-Essex just before the break, and we saw the numbers that came out of that a systematic pilot project uh, here in Toronto. Well, and that's what I worry about is that, you know, there there won't be a, a lot of the measures that were promised that are probably more necessary, Sam, uh, now in February than they may have been in September. Asymptomatic testing, uh, you know, ironclad N95 masks, PPE. Those things are more important now to get us through the next eight or nine weeks than they might have been around Labor Day. Yeah, absolutely. And add to that vaccinations, uh, you know, uh, the government says that uh, education workers will be vaccinated in phase two. That could be July. Uh, you know, if if the government, just to go back, Greg, to something you said, that if uh, in June the Minister of Education and the Premier came out and said exactly what you said, that they were going to cap class sizes at 15 uh, and students would be in classes on alternate days. If they had gone mm-hmm. ahead with that, uh, we'd be in a much different place. March break, what's your perspective uh, on it? We're five weeks away from it. We need to see how this all goes. Um, but but is, is it your concept that, uh, you know, with, with the fact that there's been online learning the last five weeks, that parents, teachers, kids alike will just need to not stare into a screen and, and just need to be at home? And maybe, again, we got a bit better weather and there's a few more options to uh, to live your lives. Yeah, absolutely. We, we're opposed to canceling March break. 
Um, uh, and you've seen how the, the Ontario Principals Council has come out and said the same thing. Uh, our members have been e- emailing me, uh, you know, day in and day out and saying that they need March break. They're, you know, as I've said, they're holding on by their fingertips with everything that they've had to deal with. Before the uh, uh, holiday break, they did everything they could to get to, you know, uh, late December, and now they're they're struggling and, and to get to March break. So everyone needs a break. Educators, parents, and students in that week with the right restrictions uh, can be so beneficial. Sam Hammond is our guest uh, from the Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario. Greg Brady here, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. I bring up the summer, and do you think there are teachers? It's it's a little bit pie-in-the-sky hypothetical, but I know that teachers have talked about this with me. Have any of them talked about with you that they'd almost trade off, Sam, this time right now and lay it out there and, and either some kind of hybrid half-day thing where uh, kids get a little bit of a break, and they would work into July? I, I, know, I know that's tricky as well because air conditioning is a major, major issue, and we get pretty damn hot here by uh, early July. Um, but is that anything that's been on the table or in any conversation you've had with with union members or uh, or the ministry or anything no no we have not uh and you know the only the, con- the first concern that i would have is exactly what you pointed out uh ventilation and air, air conditioning that is certainly not in every school uh, in the province but but we haven't talked to our members about that we're trying to focus on maintaining march break at this time uh, PP, I'll ask this really quick. Have you heard from teachers that have had uh, an upgrade, if you will, in the masks that they were commissioned? I mentioned last hour to Harvey uh, that that obviously you can't just wear your own cloth mask from home. Uh, they want a little more stringent protection. But the idea of almost full N95 masks um, but that people have to wear in, say, to long-term care centers, is that something that's getting mandated? Are there teachers that are acquiring those type of masks to teach their lessons today and, and beyond? So let me answer this way, Greg. Uh, you know, all the conversations I've had over the last week and a half with our members, uh, particularly in the last few days, there are no enhanced uh, safety protocols in schools on the ground. Uh, last week, the week before, or as of today, the minister kept saying, for example, uh, that he was providing upgraded masks. Nobody's seen them. Um, he's talked about uh, grades one to three wearing masks. Uh, uh, that's a good thing, but the fact is that the majority of school boards in the province had already mandated uh, masks in one to three. So when I talk to my members, they're telling me overwhelmingly that nothing has changed on the ground in terms in terms of safety measures. That's yeah. That's and again, that's not what I want to hear. It's not what you want to no, be telling absolutely. me either, is it? Absolutely not. I wish I could say to you. Uh, you know, great job, uh, Ministry of Education. You have uh, mm-hmm. been clear about your metrics. Uh, you've implemented in every school a systematic testing. Uh, there are, are upgraded masks for students and for uh, staff. You're on. You're uh, pushing forward with vaccinations, and you've decreased, reduced class sizes to increase physical distancing. That's what I would love to be saying. Sam, uh, enjoy the time as always. Thanks very much. The messaging is important to get out there for teachers listening and and uh, and for our entire community, for all parents as well. Thanks for making it for me. Oh, thank you, Greg. That's Sam Hammond from the Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario.